are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our academic and occupational backgrounds in criminology and medicine to bring you crime stories each week. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Chloe, as always, here with my sister Melina to bring you more true crime. This week, we are talking about the disappearance and murder of three-year-old Kaylee Anthony and the recent Peacock documentary, which chronicles Casey Anthony's journey since being acquitted of the murder of her daughter, Kaylee. The story of what happened to Kaylee Anthony differs depending on who you ask. The official version of the story is that Kaylee was almost three years old, living in Orlando, Florida, with her mother, Casey Anthony, who was a single mom, who had her at like 18, and Casey's parents, so Kaylee's grandparents, Cindy and George. Cindy was a nurse. George was working in security and was a former cop back when they lived in Ohio when Casey was growing up. Kaylee Anthony was last seen alive by her grandfather, George, on June 16th, 2008. He said that she left the house with her mother, Casey, on July 15th, 2008. A series of 911 calls were received. The caller was Cindy Anthony. Ever since the day that George last saw Casey and Kaylee, Casey was not around. She would talk to her parents on the phone, but refused to get her daughter Kaylee onto the phone and always had an excuse. It seemed as though Casey was trying to deliberately keep Kaylee from her mother Cindy because she was allegedly threatened by the bond that they had. I made a face when you just said that, Melina, as you saw, because we're sitting right next to each other. When you said that Casey felt threatened by the bond shared by her daughter and her mother, the bond shared between grandmother and granddaughter, that she felt threatened by it. If she had any other reason besides being jealous of the loving relationship they shared to keep her away, I'd understand. But that just seems like a huge red flag already. I have a little girl, and this is a difficult story to talk about for me because my daughter is three the same age Kaylee was when she was murdered my daughter is so close with her grandma like honestly probably sometimes prefers the company of her grandma to me and I don't care like why would that threaten me my daughter and I have a great relationship why wouldn't you want your child to have loving supportive attachments with other people especially a family member Apparently, Cindy wore the pants in the family. She was the one whose final say-so was needed for basically anything. I think that that aspect of her personality really rubbed Casey the wrong way, probably for her entire life, that she felt the need to control everything. According to Cindy, Cindy was able to hold baby newborn Kaylee before Casey was because Casey was getting, quote, stitched up, and apparently Casey never forgave her for that. Casey seemed to also have a habit of stealing from her parents as well as her friends, which happened later. But apparently, Cindy wanted to get Kaylee away from Casey. That's not a proven fact, but it is 
known that Casey was a thief and a liar. So it is possible that Casey felt threatened by that and that she could use that information against her potentially. So this is why she feels threatened. It's not because she's jealous. It's because she actually thinks that her mother is actively trying to take her daughter away from her. And why would Cindy Anthony want to do that? If she felt like Casey wasn't providing a safe environment or if Casey was not being a good influence. So anyway, Casey would always have an excuse throughout that month between mid-June and mid-July about why Kaylee couldn't come to the phone. She's at the beach with the nanny. She's on a play date with so-and-so. Always had an excuse. And eventually, Cindy couldn't take it anymore. And she was like, where is my daughter? And where's my granddaughter? What is going on? After a certain amount of time had passed, it became sort of a situation where she was like, enough of the excuses. I'm going to find her. So basically, she enlisted the help of one of Casey's friends at the time, Amy Huzenga, who actually ended up being a victim of Casey's theft. She like stole a checkbook from her and she was convicted of that one. But basically, Cindy enlisted the help of Amy to find Casey and basically (laughs) poor Amy in that situation being driven in this car, like to track down Casey. And And Amy has no idea what's going on. Casey was hiding the fact that Kaylee was missing from everybody, everybody, including the people she was staying with for this month, which was her boyfriend. She wasn't working. She was being a liar. But basically, she found Casey at her boyfriend, Tony Lazaro's apartment, and there was weed smoke in the air. So she knew that Kaylee probably wasn't there. And basically, she was like, Casey, where is Kaylee? And she was like, she's with the nanny. Careful. She'll rob you blind to the boyfriend. So just lots of dysfunction. I bet Amy literally was like, what the actual fuck? Significant family dysfunction. And you wonder if that, if it was always like that. But anyway, she refused to take her mom to Kaylee. She's like, I want to pick her up from the nanny. Where's the nanny? Who's the nanny? And she wouldn't tell her where she was. So then she became desperate. And that's when the 911 call started. She was like, she stole my car because the car that Casey used was in her parents' name, I guess. So she was really kind of grasping at anything she could to try to get I guess maybe Casey scared enough to tell her where Kaylee was like she was employing all these avenues but these things they didn't really seem like emergencies they kind of seemed like domestic matters but then a very urgent call came in a hysterical Cindy said that her daughter finally admitted that Kaylee had been missing for a month and that the nanny stole her and that something is very wrong because This car that I mentioned that Casey was driving was towed during the period of time where she was missing with Kaylee, which apparently had a putrid odor emanating from the trunk. I think a direct quote is, I found my daughter's car today and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. She said that to the 911 operator, so I think that sort of made things a little bit more urgent and... The police came to the house, not before the operator requested to talk to the mom of this missing child, because basically she was like, she didn't report her missing. I'm reporting her missing now because I'm calling it. She's freaking out. She's totally upset. She passes the phone to Casey, who is like cool as a cucumber, completely unfazed. And she said, my daughter's been missing for 31 days and basically was like, I've been trying to find other avenues, going through other means to find her, which was stupid. So it sounds so sketchy. Like, what the actual hell? The dispatcher trying to make sense of this absolutely chaotic situation unfolding was basically saying, I'd like to know why you haven't reported this if she's been missing for 
a whole month and basically, you know, imply that it's been a month and Casey goes, it's been 31 days. Like re-emphasizing what she said. It's like, why are you giving this woman an attitude? She's literally here to get the process rolling and trying to help you. And she's being so rude. Like she's dealing with an insolent customer service representative. So the fact that this girl has been missing for a month and this car allegedly smells like a dead body, which was according to Cindy and George who got the car. And please note that during the subsequent proceedings in court, George denied ever saying that it smelled like that. But he did say that to law enforcement. He denies it, but that's what they attest to. And Cindy, too, said that it was a figure of speech when she was testifying in the trial. She did sort of go back on her original suspicions, and she did, I think, try to save her daughter in the end. Imagine saying outright that something smells like a decomposing body and then backtracking and saying it's a figure of speech just watching both george and cindy in the trial and i think you're right the dishonesty and backpedaling and flip-flopping on your story could be related to sheer protectiveness of casey and regretting their role in putting her in jail and getting her arrested and everything but just for the sake of your granddaughter, if that's who you're really caring and worrying about, just be honest. Clearly, at some point, they're not being honest. And Casey herself, Kaylee's mother, is the worst offender as far as being dishonest. She even lied to everybody in her life about having a job. She said that she worked for Universal Studios. She lived with her parents and she would get dressed for work and leave the house with Kaylee every day. In the past, she had worked at Universal Studios as one of the people trying to sell people the pictures that were taken during their visit. She told people that she was an event planner, which was obviously a stretch for her previous job, but even more so for not holding a position there at all, which she hadn't for quite some time. But she maintained this ruse, not just to law enforcement, but to her family for a pretty extended period of time. When law enforcement asked to see her work, she even took them to Universal Studios and took them into a building and walked down a hallway until she eventually stopped and turned around and said, okay, I don't really work here. That's when everything sort of came crashing down on her because the cops were like, okay, enough. How is this helping find your daughter? And she's like, it's not. Like she didn't have an answer to anything. So she was charged with child neglect and was put in jail. There are video recordings of the visits that Casey had with her parents during that incarceration and her attitude continued to be insolent. During one of the visits that was recorded, Cindy said that somebody on TV was saying that Kaylee was dead. Casey callously replies, surprise, surprise. I know that it's all conjecture and speculation to talk about her behavior here, but it could not be more suspicious and more cold-hearted. And people have responses to different things, like in comes her lawyer and spins the story completely. Everyone responds to grief differently, I think, is what you were getting at there. And that on its own doesn't convict Casey Anthony, and nothing convicted Casey Anthony. She was acquitted. But that reaction, surprise, surprise, coupled with the other disturbing behavior that she exhibited while her daughter was missing, including getting a tattoo on her shoulder, La Bella Vida, 
partying, participating in contests at parties. What kind of contests were these? It was a hot body contest. The pictures are honestly cringeworthy. The huge shit-eating grin that she has in the pictures, trying to look sexy, queer-baiting with other women. It's just pathetic. Like, go home. I'm not saying that people that go out are pathetic, and I'm definitely not saying that moms who go out and party and are trying to have fun and still enjoy their lives and not let motherhood comprehensively define them in every possible way. I'm not judging everybody for that. I like to go out and have fun. I just went to Mexico. It's extremely cringeworthy to watch because she seems like she's trying so hard. And that's even without knowing that her daughter is literally missing. The prosecution would later use these antics of hers against her in trial because they're saying she's out doing this at the club with her boyfriend and his buddies. Where is Kaylee while she's doing this? In comes the defense. Not an unknown at this time. He was very um, apparently well-known in the local Hispanic community. But somebody recommended him to Casey when she was in initial lockup and he was her lawyer ever since. He saved her life. He he did a fantastic job because he was able to make the jury distracted enough and he capitalized on the fact that the amount of time that it took to find the evidence created reasonable doubt. I definitely want to talk more about the trial and all of the intricacies of that, but I also want to talk about the boyfriend that Casey had at the time. There was a lot of talk about his influence on her. She seemed to be very invested in having his approval and love at any cost possible, just based on her demeanor when discussing him during one of those prison visits on video. She talks about him like she's in middle school. And what was reported was that he had no interest in children and didn't want children around. And if she was really so desperate for this relationship to work at any cost, did she just want the child to go away? Not unlike what happened with the murders of Celeste and Bella Watts in Colorado, where it was implied that their father, Chris, who was ultimately convicted of their murders, wanted to start fresh with his new mistress and not have the responsibilities of his family weighing him down. According to court testimony by Tony Lazaro and the other roommates, they seem to be totally charmed and delighted by Kaylee. But at the same time, you know, they're smoking weed inside. They're college students. Smoking weed on their off-campus apartment is sort of like what you're supposed to be doing. I'm not saying they were doing anything wrong. And sure, maybe they were delighted and charmed by how adorable and smart Kaylee was. But do they want her around all the time? No, because then they can't smoke weed inside and be doing what they're supposed to be doing. Casey was a young mom, and I think she felt like she was missing out on all of that, potentially. I think a lot of people who become parents very young go through that to varying degrees, possibly feeling like their young adulthood and that time of being wild and free has been stolen from them. Not to talk about my vacation a lot, but that's why you go to Mexico for a week. I don't judge anybody for missing life the way that it was before you were wholly responsible for another person. But that doesn't mean that you take measures like this, allegedly. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. 
this is Casey, Anthony, and Jose Baez's version of the story. According to them, on June 16th, 2008, Haley died from an accident. Presumably, she drowned in the pool and was not supervised by Casey. Apparently, she was sleeping. And George carries her dead body in the room and says, this is your fault. You did this. And you're going to jail for the rest of your life. Apparently, he softens because Casey is crying and crying and crying, according to Jose. He literally said it like that. She cried and cried and cried. He apparently softened and said, I'll take care of this. Just stay away. Do not tell your mother. That was Jose's story at the time. That was basically in his opening statement that George protected her and made her keep it a secret from her own mother. So she had to stay away. Baez then said that Casey Anthony was raised to lie. That ever since she was a little girl, she has been conditioned to be a pathological liar by her father to protect him and ultimately herself. He said that one morning, trigger warning, she would have her father's penis in her mouth and then have to go to school and act like nothing happened. You see Casey Anthony hysterically sobbing looking so viscerally upset that even I, who very much doubts her story, had trouble not believing it. In Casey's recent documentary that came out, Where the Truth Lies, she claims that he didn't tell her that he would be doing this in his opening statement. In his book, he doesn't mention keeping it from her, I don't believe, but either way, it was hard to watch. Like, it honestly, they call it like a bombshell. It was. Because it completely flipped the case upside down. And after that, everybody was distracted and everybody was wondering. Until this moment, everybody was thinking what we have been saying throughout this episode, which is, who acts like that? What is the explanation for this behavior? And it all pointed to her being the responsible party. But Baez is up here saying, no, she is a liar. She lied. You caught her in plenty of lies. But here's why she was doing it. She has been doing this ever since she was a child to protect herself. This is second nature to her. And maybe you all don't understand that, but feel lucky that you don't. He offered another explanation to why she was chronically lying to the odd behavior with not seeming to care or have any concern or have any interest in looking for her missing daughter. We all saw that and felt, well, it's because she knows what happened to her daughter. That's why she's not looking for her. And Baez is saying, yes, she did know what happened, but she has been conditioned by her abusive father to do as she's told and listen to him. And he abused her. And maybe, and he didn't say this, but maybe because of that history, he could have been even more responsible for what happened to Kaylee than he said in that statement, because he didn't really go into detail about how she died. He just told the story from Casey's alleged perspective, which was she was sleeping and George brought the dead body in. He's alluding to an accidental drowning. But when we're talking about this abusive man, George Anthony, who Baez is saying is the one that brought the dead body of a three-year-old into a sleeping mother's bedroom, of course, the jury might wonder, is there more to this? Was there abuse going on from George to Kaylee? And that is something that Casey talked 
about in this Peacock documentary. So I know that I said that it was Casey and Jose Baez's story, but this, what we just described, this was her defense. This was her legal defense, which helped find her not guilty because it created a lot of reasonable doubt. A lot of people thought they were just throwing something on the wall to see what would stick and that the abuse claims were a complete fabrication. But I feel like I feel like that Casey could have done something to her daughter and been a victim of sexual abuse by her father. I in my opinion, there are a few things that make me think that it's true. George adamantly denied having done this under oath. Jose found a very creative way to ask him a question that I think stuck with the jury. He asked him, if you had sexually abused your daughter, would you have turned yourself in? Would you have reported yourself? And he couldn't answer. Like, what? (laughs) He couldn't answer. What would you say? I'd basically say I'm offended by the question, but yes. If I ever had an urge to do something like that, or if I ever did do something like that, I would literally just kill myself. But the answer is no, he wouldn't. (laughs) That's what I got from that. I get this like weird vibe from them as a married couple. Like apparently he's cheated on her a bunch of times and she has kicked him out of the house and that he's a liar and that he's like gotten Ponzi schemed before. Like he's or like a gambling addict, like all kinds of like scandalous crap was going on. Like Cindy's the breadwinner and he's kind of just can't keep a job and he's like messing around. My answer to the question would be, I would never abuse a child. And if a demon took over my body and abused a child in my body, I would just either turn myself into the police or fling myself off a bridge. It is a pretty clever, very typical lawyer question because it trapped him. I believe that it's possible that it happened. I believed Casey's reaction, but she is a really good liar, in my opinion, especially since she's been doing it her whole life, like Baez said. Watching the documentary, I felt like she was convincing when she was telling her side of it. You know, she goes into the room she's staying in. You know, they're staying at a house for her safety and she is furnishing the bedroom, putting up framed photos of Kaylee on the walls and talking about why this is her favorite picture, recounting stories. And she sounds like such a sweet, doting mother and genuinely grieving. You'd think if you'd killed your own daughter, you wouldn't want constant reminders of that around you. She did a good job portraying a potentially innocent person what kind of reaction did you have my reaction was that her story the version of events that she explained in this documentary it was very similar and probably based off of the story that jose made or her truth or whatever you want to call it whatever he said happened she based her story here off of that it was like a jumping point off of that and it did differ there were some key parts that were the same But the main thing was that she said that she didn't know how she died. She doesn't know exactly what happened. Is that she was sleeping and she's shaken awake by her father, George, saying, where's Kaylee? Where's Kaylee? She was missing. And they were apparently running around looking for her. And then he presents her Kaylee's cold, wet, lifeless body and puts her in her arms. And the same thing that Jose was saying, this is your fault. You're going to jail, blah, blah, blah. But then he says he's going to take care of it. In this version, Casey says that George tells her that she's going to be okay, almost implying that 
Kaylee wasn't actually dead and that he was going to fix it and that he was just going to hang on to her for a while or something. Like, basically what she said was that George kidnapped Kaylee from her and told her that it was all going to be okay, that he was giving her instructions that she needed to follow. She kept saying that, that I just needed to follow his instructions and I would get her back. So basically she's saying that he did something to her, that somehow he caused her death and that he was lying to Casey and stringing her along so Cindy wouldn't find out. But that makes no sense to me. Why would he be holding her? What the hell? I don't understand. I do think that it is possible, like I said, that she was a victim of abuse and it would explain a lot of the strange lying behavior and kind of living in a fantasy land because you can't deal with your own reality and all that. But Jose's story to me made a lot more sense than this because she's basically saying that even though Kaylee was found in water, she doesn't know if she drowned. She doesn't know how she died. She doesn't know if it was an accident that George caused. She It was implied that George sexually abused Kaylee too. She she makes that accusation pretty clear, basically saying she, he did this to me, so why wouldn't he have also been doing it to her? Yeah, but what about in the moment? I think there's this phenomenon with abuse victims, especially those who have been silenced when attempting to come forward, such as when they're children. If you go to your mom or your grandma and say someone touched me inappropriately and they say, oh, we don't talk about that. Or hush your mouth. How dare you? If they're shut down like that, they might live the rest of their lives in denial and have a very complicated relationship with that trauma. So these people that have been invalidated and are surrounded by enabling female family members who condone and even celebrate the monster in their family, they might be conditioned to think, oh, he's not a bad guy. And yeah, he did that to me, but he would never do that to her. Just to avoid that cognitive dissonance when you are just turning your back on your whole family, your whole life, your whole foundation in feeling stable on this earth. She lived with them. To survive there, it's possible that Casey and other adult survivors of childhood sexual trauma in dealing with their trauma might expose their own children to their abuser because of how that trauma twists their thinking patterns. I think it's a huge problem. And while I'm sympathetic to the trauma that people go through, I've gone through trauma, there is never an excuse to expose your child to a predator, especially the devil you know. When you know what they're capable of, your job is to protect that child. You do not bring your child around a monster. And I said very clearly, I am sympathetic to how invalidated some people can be. And when that invalidation happens starting at age eight, I think is how old Casey was. She said in the documentary, I was eight years old and I'm hurt and I can't tell mom. That changes you. That changes the way that you think. But in the end, your job is your job. You need to protect your children. And if she can now say in this documentary, well, if he did it to me, he could have done it to her. And she seems to really think that, or that's the story that she's asserting. Where was that mindset then? Is this just a hindsight is 2020 thing? I think that she claims to have suppressed a lot of the memories. 
like she may have been in denial about it. She may have like made herself forget about it in a way. Like apparently she was coming to these memories while she was in prison and Jose was helping her according to them. And even in the documentary, there's a girl who is interviewed who was friends with Casey in lockup and in letters, Casey even said things like, I think I may have been abused like by my father. I think she was like a, apparently figuring it out herself. Most survivors of childhood sexual trauma don't disclose their abuse until well into their late 20s or early 30s. It takes a long time to process it. And I'll give her credit. She was a very young mother. She probably just wasn't in a place to fully process what had happened to her. And you said those letters do reflect a certain awakening and recent understanding of what might have happened to say, I think I might have been this. Of course, she could have been planting seeds and being a tricky trickster, but it also aligns with how trauma is often processed. I think that the answer here is that we will never really know the answer. Casey claims to be innocent and she was found not guilty. But there's obviously something really wrong with her. She's very grandiose and I feel like her affect is inappropriate. She's almost like crass in a way. Do you think the documentary may have been a little bit biased? No, I didn't say bias. I said biased. That was very silly. Yes, I think it was biased. I think it was presenting it from Casey's perspective. I think on the other hand, the media has been very anti-Casey and probably on the other end of the wing or the extreme. Not that it's undeserved based on her own admitted actions, but I don't think this story has ever been presented in a balanced way until now it's like i try because i do think that casey was a victim of the media like she was completely fed to the wolves like oh my god it was worse than amanda knox it's funny that you say amanda knox because the way that she was sitting and looking and acting in that testimonial i literally thought while watching it she wants to be amanda knox so bad because it's another young woman who is fed to the wolves by the media who's making all these people so much money and is convicted by the media essentially and she probably feels a kinship with people like amanda especially people that have been vindicated and amanda's documentary on netflix really changed everybody's perspective on the matter hearing it from her hearing her own voice i think pretty much convinced everybody like oh like this really was a huge mistake and an institutional fuck up i don't think that same reaction was had from where the truth lies what's your take i found amanda to be very sincere and was just bearing her soul and telling her truth like i genuinely felt that based off of her demeanor and her explanations made sense to me like what I said about like the father keeping the kid from her and she found out she was dead the same time as everybody else and that she was just like hoping that she was alive like and she was following instructions like that bothers me it's like did you get that from a movie or something I get the sense that Casey is a little bit still potentially emotionally manipulative because there's that scene where she's watching George's speech at Kaylee's funeral for the first time and it's gross George does say I miss the smell of her sweet sweat like what and yeah what he said that that's gross i mean we've said some pretty gross things about my daughter like oh yes we have when we (laughs) 
like smelling her clothes yeah. after she's done wearing them and being like, oh, this smells so good. I wish there was a perfume like this, but I'm not talking about her sweet sweat. That's so gross. It's very pedo. And that's exactly what Casey said. But she was like sobbing hysterically. And she was like, like, it was like, this is proof that he's a pedophile. It's definitely a really weird thing to say. It was almost like she was being manipulative in the way of trying to convince everybody that this is proof that he's a pedophile and that therefore he did this. I also felt slightly emotionally manipulated watching her put all those frames up in the room. Like I, that also could have been a very intentional emotional manipulation. But I do give her credit that that comment is gross. And that's not like any kind of clinical, criminological or medical term. And I'm sorry that we're not bringing that perspective in this very moment. But viscerally, I was just kind of grossed out by that. George Anthony viscerally grosses me out like a lot, especially because in Jose's book, it like details in detail the sexual assaults. Like, yeah. So uh, trigger warning, if anybody wants to read that, I would skip that those parts because it's uh, it's disgusting and it's graphic. And I don't know if, if it's, you know, as a lawyer might say, inflammatory, right, to the listener or to the reader. So people will be like, oh, my God, he's a monster because I kind of <laughs> I kind of do think that George Anthony in a way is a kind of a monster. He's 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 a liar. He steals like he was a pathological liar. And one of the more recent interviews with George and Cindy Cindy sort of implies to George that Casey did learn to lie from him. Like, where do you think she learned it from? And he literally was like, shut up. She goes, don't tell me to shut up. And like, wags her finger in his face in a live tell-all thing on The Bachelor where they're like, checking in on (laughs) the so-called happy couples. And I can't even remember their names. But (laughs) clearly this couple was in strife and the host was asking them about their issues. And the woman starts talking over the man. He goes, don't interrupt me. Just watching. And it's not funny because I think it's horrible when people talk to each other like that. And it's horrible to be told to shut up or to be shouted at like that. And I'm not laughing at that or making light of it. But to see it on TV and to see people just airing out their dirty laundry and acting so crazy like that and not even caring. I mean, I think George and Cindy were really desperate for money. And that couple on The Bachelor probably was too. And maybe they're just exploiting themselves because they're so desperate. But it's really weird to watch that, to watch just the raw dynamic of such dysfunctional relationships. Interesting nonetheless, but embarrassing. We will talk more about the Haley Anthony case and the Peacock series Where the Truth Lies in part two of our coverage. <laughs> 